Welcome to episode 613 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I am Richard Gunther, and this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music shows, and games. Josh, I learned something over the last two weeks. What's that? We shouldn't jinx ourselves <laughs> by talking about how long a streak we have of consecutive episodes. We shouldn't ever do that again. Aren't you the one that always gives me a hard time for me being so superstitious? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I always like to say that it only applies to sports, but that's not true. I am superstitious about a great many things. Well, I will take some blame because I was traveling and we both had some busy, crazy stuff going on. So let's dive into this episode, starting with um, some feedback. How did that feedback get here, Josh? Uh, it was emailed to us at entertainment20 at thedigitalmediazone.com. And this message is from longtime listener, frequent messenger, feedbacker. I don't think that's a word, but I'm going to go with it. Gary, our friend from down under, he says, hey, listening to this one, and by this one he means the last one, which was episode 612, uh, there are a couple of shows that I got to over the Christmas break that you should look at. The Recruit, a more cynical, humorous, and alternative look at the CIA. Hopefully it will be renewed. Yeah, this is what I want to watch, actually. I like CIA-related things. Yep. And he also recommends Tulsa Kings. And he says, never has Sylvester Stallone been so entertaining. Wow. I'd never really? heard of this. Did you, you said that you knew about this? I heard Rob H., our friend over from the AV Rant podcast, talking about it. I, th I think it was Rob H. I, th I think that was the, I mean, if not, I'm giving them some free exposure anyway, which they deserve. So. But I think that was the first time I had heard of it. I didn't know Sylvester Stallone was in anything new. That dude is really old. <laughs> <laughs> he says, uh, additionally, now I'm just waiting for the new pre-order Daniel, Daniel Suarez. How do I mess up Daniel? Daniel, twice, when his last name is Suarez, and I nailed that. Uh, his new audiobook to drop, it's been delayed once. But watching Twitter, it seems to be dropping tomorrow. I don't remember what day this message came in. I don't know if this book came out. <laughs> yeah, for, I don't know. For either. Gary's sake, I hope it did. All right, and then he gets to a question, an interesting talking point. He says, so what I don't understand about subscription services like Netflix and things like that is why they are going up in cost as an economist that I keep hoping for the economy of scale to kick in where administration, editing, transmission services, storage, and delivery has got to be getting cheaper. So I, I think what Gary is saying here is all of the uh, technical capabilities and, and, and the, the technical limitations and constraints of producing these shows, I guess. Uh, he doesn't specifically say that, but um, uh, of producing the content and definitely for delivering the content should actually be getting cheaper. And if that's true, why do the subscription costs for these services keep increasing? Oh, oh. Oh, 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 I have an answer. Yes, Mr. Gunther. <laughs> Licensing fees. It comes down to content fees. The content producers understand that what they offer has value, and so they're charging more and more and more for it. Yeah, I, I think that's true. So I, I, I think that the things that Gary was talking about, you know, basically the things involved in how a service like this delivers content, I think he's right that it probably is uh, decreasing in cost in some ways. Yep. But that's probably never been the most expensive part of their business model. Probably not even close. Maybe when Netflix started, <laughs> it might have been, <laughs> right. Right? right? But it, at this point, it, it's it's the fees. And those fees aren't just studios being greedy 
everybody gets their cut of that. And remember, we talked recently about HBO taking content off of their service because it was going to save money for Discovery Communications by not having to pay royalties to everybody who made that content. Right. Yeah, the the the, the people aspect of this uh, is an important one to call out because lots of people's wages are going up, and 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 even if it's not just uh, you know the, the the cost to pay the actors and the cost to to pay the catering companies and and all of those things and the screenwriters and and the showrunners and the editors and the tech like all of those people of course get paid throughout all of this. And also, I forget where I was going with that. (laughs) (laughs) It's more than just the actors. It's everybody involved usually has some stake in the licensing or the, the, um, uh, um, the, the fees that the residuals that they would get from anything that is streaming every time it hits a stream. It's kind of like music. Every time there's a stream, some money goes toward a bunch of people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it is, uh, it's just, it is, it's like eggs. It's except that it's not going up because of avian flu. It's just going up because everything is going up. (laughs) Price of eggs actually came down, but that's irrelevant. Okay. But it was up in in January. It was indeed. We should jump into the news. (laughs) All right. So, Something maybe less controversial, and that would be the Super Bowl is this coming weekend. If if you're listening to this around the time the show comes out, the Super Bowl is this weekend. And for a lot of people, they'll be watching that on cable TV. In the U.S., I believe it's still over 50% of households are on cable TV. And then there's the cord cutters. And for you, maybe you're watching it on, on YouTube TV or something like that. Or maybe you're watching it over an antenna. But... Because it is on Fox, like the Super Bowl is pretty much, I think it's always been on broadcast television, but a lot of cord cutters don't live in a place where they get great reception. And maybe they just don't get great reception for Fox. Like it could just be that that antenna is in a different spot or tower is in a different spot. So what options do you have if you're not paying for a big expensive streaming package and you don't have an over the air antenna to watch the Super Bowl? Well, Fox has actually got you covered this year. They are going to stream the Super Bowl live online using their Fox Sports app. And unlike previous years, you don't need to log in with a pay TV subscription, a TV Anywhere account, as as it's frequently called. You can just load this app up on whatever your streaming device is and watch it. And and that's pretty awesome on its own. But what's Maybe even better is that they're going to stream it in 4K, which is better than I could get over my antenna. I'm really excited about this. Yeah, that that's cool. I think the question is, will the 4K look as good as the antenna? Because technically, historically, antenna broadcasts of games like this end up being much, much better than certainly cable, right, and oftentimes even streaming services. So I'll be really interested to see how this goes, what people think of it. Well, I will let you know, because this is how I'm going to be watching it. And I need it to look good. I need it to sound good. And I need that stream to stay reliable, because it's also not just me. I'm I'm having some friends over to watch it, too. And like if it doesn't go well, they're not going to be that upset. Like we're really just getting together to hang out and watch some commercials, but I, I still want this to be solid throughout the entire show. So we'll see. I I hope that Fox is better at streaming the Super Bowl than Ticketmaster is at selling Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, very nice. <laughs> and uh, sharp dress, sharp dress penguin in the chat says and the other question is if fox can handle the streaming demand and bandwidth just like you're um you know supposing is it possible that they could end up with some snags so my question to you josh is do you have a backup plan 
Well, I do have an antenna, but Fox actually doesn't come in very well for me. So if this really goes south, the the two options I have are quickly sign up for an on for a paid TV <laughs> subscription or the people that we're having over live across the street from us. I suppose I could go over to their house instead, but I really want to watch it at my house on my giant TV on my right. comfortable couch. Yeah. Your OLED. Exactly. Yep. I didn't get a 65 inch OLED <laughs> to not share with other people. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. All right. Are, are are you a big Super Bowl watcher? Are you inviting anybody over for this? <laughs> That's so funny. No. I, not I used even to go for the commercials. I used to go to Super Bowl commercial parties when I was younger, but um <laughs> I have not done that in a long time. So, funny thing talking talking about your sofa and your 65-inch OLED television while I was away cuz I was away for the last few weeks working down at our vacation rental place. I um, came home and found that our sofa is now further away from our 65-inch television <laughs> that I had specifically purchased so that we would have that perfect ratio mm-hmm. of distance to diagonal. So, you know, my answer was, well, I may have to buy a bigger TV now. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> the C3s are coming out any day now. Yeah. Or the, or the G3. Or what was that really big one? The like 95-inch one. You should get that yeah, one. Yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to the next story. And that is about a streaming service. This one is Peacock. This is kind of a weird one. So Peacock has always had three tiers. A free tier. And then Peacock Premium. And Peacock Premium Plus. And just kind of unexpectedly, they're dropping the free tier altogether. No more free tier. So if you were already on the free tier, you still have access to it, although we don't know how long that will continue to be a thing. If you're thinking of signing up new, you just have the two options, Peacock Premium, which is $4.99 a month, or Peacock Premium Plus, which is $9.99 a month. And the main difference between Premium Plus and Premium is there are no ads with Premium Plus. You also get your local NBC affiliate in most markets. And like many other streaming services, you can download content for offline viewing. Yeah. This is, I don't get this. It's interesting because it's the reverse. Well, no, I was going to say it's the reverse of what Netflix is doing. It's not exactly, but like Netflix is like, we need to look for cheaper options for our customers and peacock is like meh screw the freeloaders we're (laughs) we're just charging everybody money this isn't entirely different from what hulu did hulu kind of shed its free service by pushing it off to something that was branded differently i i don't know what that arrangement looked like legally but there really is no such thing as free hulu anymore there are different paid hulu tiers I think what Peacock was trying to accomplish with its free tier was to bait people. And if you looked at how they differentiated what was free and what was paid, it was usually either content that wasn't all that popular or the first couple of episodes of popular series. So, You get to episode four, now you have to start paying to watch Friends. And maybe that just didn't actually work as they hoped it would. Yeah. I think think that's a good thought. Like, it it sounds like a model that would work, but if, if it's not, then yeah, get rid of it because... Those free customers are costing you money. Maybe the ads are are making up for all of it, but probably not if they just decided to axe the the free model entirely. And you know the 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 pricing for for Peacock it's still very competitive. So if you're looking for that content, Friends, The Office, things like that, uh, and the the local affiliate thing, I don't think should be written off. Like that's that that's 
as a cord cutter who's kind of sick of dealing with my antenna situation, being able to stream local affiliates is awfully tempting. I just, I'm not going to pay $10 a month per service to be able to stream them all. I don't care that much. (laughs) All right, well, moving on to the next streaming service, Paramount Plus Premium and Showtime. They're merging together. And this is another interesting model. So it's the the new service is going to be called Paramount Plus with Showtime. These (sighs) these services, when they merge, are always terrible at coming up with good names. And and this conglomeration of companies over the literally decades now has had such a bad track record of naming things in a way that made any sense. Yeah. So if you hate the name, then you're really going to love the fact that the the new name is also going to apply to the other interesting aspect of this story, which is they're they're basically renaming the Showtime linear streams that you would get on cable if you subscribed right. it to Showtime on cable. Right. Those channels will now be called Paramount Plus with Showtime. <laughs> Which is just, I mean, come on. Come on. Really? I, I Okay, let's finish telling us about this and then yeah. I'll go off on it. Because the, the part that I think is actually kind of interesting here is, like I mentioned earlier in the show, still, I, I, it's been a while since I've seen the number, but I think it is still over 50% of American households still subscribe to cable TV, cable or satellite. Yep. And so if you're one of those people and you like Showtime, so you've been paying extra for Showtime, and you're also interested in some of the shows that are on Paramount Plus, the streaming service, those shows are now going to start coming to the linear cable TV service. Uh, Some of those shows. Yes. We don't know which ones yet, necessarily. They've given some names, but you know what I haven't seen in any of these? I haven't seen Star Trek anything. Hmm. Aren't they the ones that own Yellowstone? Is is that coming to this? Because that seems to be like the Good only question. one that matters. I don't know. Like that, that's the one that everybody always talks about. And I think that's Paramount. I, I think this is smart, but it's weird because it feels backwards. Like everybody's moving everything to streaming services and Paramount's like, I don't know, guys, what if we tried moving our streaming stuff to cable? Right. What do you think? And everybody laughed. And then someone <laughs> said, no, really? Like, let's, what have we got to lose? Let's give it a try. <laughs> right? I, I think that's how it went down in the boardroom. Yeah, maybe, maybe. This just seems like a a a comedy of of just odd combination of things that came up and they're like, yeah, let's just do it all. So I I like that they're combining this content. I think it makes sense to combine the content. The fact that they're calling it Paramount Plus with Showtime as a streaming service, okay, whatever. That's a little bit. That's uh, that's territorialism is what that is. That's mm-hmm. the folks at Showtime saying no. You are not getting rid of the Showtime name because it has brand recognition, and we will fight this if you get rid of that name. I think it so, also has better brand recognition than Paramount Plus. <laughs> right, right. Yes, yes, it does. So why didn't they call it? Showtime Plus. Well, because that doesn't include the larger Paramount content. And all of these studios are trying to put their brand, their name on these services. So you think of their brand, not as as a studio, as a content provider or a content house, not just the specific things that they put out. And so that's why that Paramount name, when they named this Paramount Plus, you and I were both like, finally, they finally came up with a name that makes sense for all of this stuff. Right. So we have a terrible name, and now we're going to take this and rename the Showtime channel that everybody has had since I was a wee tyke. (laughs) (laughs) 
And now it's going to be called Paramount Plus with Showtime, and that's a cable channel? First of all, how does that fit anywhere? And I can only believe how they're going to abbreviate that in the guide. And you're like 35-pixel-wide section in the guide. Yeah. Right, exactly. Exactly. And some five letters to make that <laughs> make sense. But it's 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 going to be confusing as anything because Paramount Plus, this whole plus thing has always meant, oh, this is the streaming service associated with the paid content that we would otherwise get some other way. It's going to be very confusing to people. I don't get it. I I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to say, oh, if you like this, maybe you should try our streaming stuff or maybe you'll evolve to our streaming stuff because you'll just see that it's the next logical step for you. Uh, weird. You know what I haven't seen in any of this stuff? I haven't seen anything having to do with what this is going to cost. Mm-hmm. That is the other really big question. <laughs> right? Because Paramount Plus, I believe, is also tiered like Peacock. That I, yep. and, and I think it's 5 and $10 a month. And was Showtime, is Showtime 15 a month? No, it's a 10, 10 or eleven dollars. I think eleven. Okay, it was it was less than HBO. Okay, so yeah, does this jump up to Netflix pricing? Is this roughly twenty dollars a month? No word of that. There's absolutely no word of what this is going to cost. So, yeah, I interesting. I don't know why I w- want to do this, but I feel like it, if we're being entirely fair. You know, we're making fun of them for this bad name. And it's it's not a great name. But we haven't suggested anything better. Be, because the brand part of it does really matter. And and I think that that is why these companies are struggling so much. Because they want people to know it is the awesomeness of Showtime. And it is the giant library that you love from Paramount. And so if we call it anything other than a name that has those two words in it, people won't know what it is. So Maybe. Yeah. I'm not a branding guy. That's not what I do. I assume people who make literally hundreds of dollars an hour are on this, and this is the best <laughs> that they could come up with. Well, but, but the one service that went out and did something different was NBC. And they got ridiculed too. And Peacock makes sense. It's been their logo forever. And it took a while, but I think people eventually figured out. That, we all that, made fun of it initially. <laughs> that, that Peacock is the NBC service. And it's not just NBC Plus to go against ESPN Plus and Disney Plus and all, and all, and all the other pluses. Discovery Plus, which is also changing. That's the one that's going to like... HBO Max plus Discovery or something. We don't, yeah, we don't know what it's going to be called yet. <laughs> so we get to have this exact same conversation again Probably. later this year. Probably. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> All right. Well, let's move on and talk about sports ball. So, of course, I am going to cover this one. <laughs> <laughs> Not uh, because so- Richard cares about the sports aspect of this at all. No. No, what I care about is the thing that I have always been concerned about and we have always warned about. And it's not like we're alone in this, but the news is that YouTube TV, which until January 31st, just several days ago, used to carry the MLB network, no longer carries the MLB network. Now, you might not notice that right now. Because you're probably not watching a whole lot of MLB stuff right now. (laughs) Right. But that network is no longer there. And it's no longer there because they couldn't reach an agreement. They couldn't come to a contract agreement that worked for them, whether it was price or conditions or licensing rights or whatever. Who knows? But they didn't come to an agreement. So it's no longer there. But here's the rub. In addition to that network going away, everything that you recorded on your YouTube TV paid service DVR is now gone. It's gone. They just got rid of it. That's well, crazy. They lost the rights to it. 
and this is what cloud DVR looks like, <laughs> right? And and this is the model I'm using now. Mm-hmm. But this is what this looks like, and I mean, I'm not saying don't say we didn't tell you, but this is the kind of problems that I have always worried about when we look at relying on the cloud as or thinking of the cloud as any sort of permanent storage or permanent availability of content because it's not. You're right. It's not. And maybe one of the reasons that I feel less upset about this than you is I, I see this a whole lot more in other places. And, and I'm thinking of things like Xbox Game Pass. Games come and go all the time. You know, they, they've got a massive catalog of games, and every month there's some new games added and a handful of games that are also removed. And once they're removed, even if you've got them on your local hard drive, you can't play them because you don't have the license to them anymore. I just don't think that's how people think of their TV subscription service, though. I don't know. I, I, I don't you're know. right. I, I don't think most people do, but I also, I would love to know the usage numbers on YouTube's DVR because DVR usage numbers on cable DVRs was never very high. So how many people does this realistically even impact right now? And what were you DVRing on the MLB network? And all of those arguments like none of them are actually very good because maybe that's true for MLB network that it, you know maybe most of their content is just like a nightly baseball centered sports center type show and there's no reason to DVR that long term but this could happen to a, a service that has like an entire season of a show that you like that you wanted right. to watch this summer and so you right. recorded it all now and now it's all gone and you have no way of getting it back. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, because I haven't ranted quite enough yet in this episode, one more story that I wanted to talk about was the recent news that for a short period of time, Netflix apparently, oops, accidentally posted an FAQs page on their US site about how account sharing will work going forward and cue the national outrage. So as we know, Netflix has been talking about getting some formal plans in place for handling accounts where passwords are shared between, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt and say locations for members of a family. And they've been trying this out in some areas. There are some trials of this in place right now. And apparently, at some point in time, a a page went up on the U.S. site that started outlining how this is going to work in the U.S. And Netflix now claims that that wasn't supposed to be there. They very quickly took it down once the press noticed it, whether that was because Everybody didn't like what they heard or because it really was an accident and it's not fully baked yet. I don't know that we'll ever know that. But um, the point is, this is coming and we all knew that this was coming. And everybody that I saw on the Internet screaming about this was someone who knew that this was coming, was someone who knew that Netflix has a plan that they are going to start charging people to allow you to share your account with people who don't live in your home. We didn't know what it would look like, but we knew it was coming. But the outrage, the outrage that has come toward Netflix about this has just kind of blown my mind. Now, the one thing that I will readily admit is that the process that this FAQs page outlined, or I should say suggested for how this would work, did seem tedious. And so if we end up with some model that requires 
constantly relogging into your Netflix account when basically you never have to log into your Netflix account after you've done it once, right? You log in and you're logged in and you stay logged in. They're not doing that voodoo crap where they bump you off every month, regardless of how often you've used it and you have to log in again. They just keep you logged in. And it seemed like the solution that was discussed here was one that was going to require you to pretty regularly re-authenticate to make sure that the home location is clearly identified and that they know what's home versus what's somewhere else. And that's going to be a hassle, and I'm not going to like that. But that's not what people were ranting about. People were ranting about the, oh, oh, I can't believe what a money grab this is. We've known this was coming. And by the way, if you're sharing your password, you have been violating their terms of service knowingly for years. So. Um, I'm sorry, guess which side of things I fall on. I'm on the suck it up and pay the fee side. Josh, where do you stand? I'm pretty much on on the same side there. It's been against the terms of service forever. You're right. And just because they've never come after people for it doesn't mean that you should have expected it to last forever. I I don't love the, the way that they're potentially going to be implementing this because there is a little bit of a question and the article that you link to, I think uh, that, that'll be in our show notes over at the digital media zone.com lays this out really well. It is not super clear in their terms of service who, you know, when, when you have your six profiles, who can use those? And many people have, I think fairly, interpreted the terms of service as saying my college age student who is in my family and whose permanent address is my house can stream Netflix while they're away at college across the country. That, That seems pretty reasonable. And if they are going to implement the, the password crackdown, the way that this FAQ made it sound, then your student your college student is going to have to reauthenticate every week. And when they do that, it sounds like it's probably going to be similar to like a two factor authentication thing where if my kid was in college, she's not, she's not old enough for it, but she would be forced to log in at some random time. And then my phone would buzz and I would need to give her that code. And that's going to become even more problematic because they're freaking college students. So they're going they're going to be watching Netflix at like two o'clock in the morning right. while their right. normal parents are asleep. <laughs> right. So I I would like to see a better solution than that. I don't know that there's going to be one, but Netflix has a lot of smart people that work there. Richard, I do think that this is one of those opportunities where, especially when you are very obviously on the pro Netflix argument here that we should disclose that you are a Netflix shareholder. (laughs) Yes. No, absolutely. Yes. We should absolutely disclose that. I, I, but I'm also, I've also been someone who would never share my password period. I don't share passwords. So I'm coming from that side of the argument, and I know that's not where many, many, many Netflix customers are. I get that. Right. And I'm not trying to be that, oh, he's just the rules guy. I, I am kind of a rules guy. Me too. <laughs> and and as we've talked about a lot, you know, if if this is too much, because the top tier Netflix is expensive it is the most expensive streaming service available to you there are cheaper tiers you know you can bump down from from the 4k plan and things like that and most people aren't even going to notice a difference anyway so there are some options there including dropping all the way down to the ad supported option so there you go you've got options All right, let's move on to some audio news. And we are going to keep it with Netflix, though. Yes, Netflix for audio news. And that is that Netflix is now rolling out spatial audio support on on what they're calling all devices. And as a quick recap of what do we mean when we say spatial audio, 
It it means that you're getting audio that's coming out of probably just two speakers, you know, the the two speakers in your TV, the couple of speakers in your tablet, your headphones, something like that. And they have processed the sound in such a way that it tricks your ears into thinking that that audio is coming from different directions, not just left and right, but maybe in front of you and behind you, maybe above you, depending on how it is all audio engineered. And fake surround. Yeah, it's Think exactly. Disney's binaural audio. Yeah, exactly. And the idea is great. They are primarily focusing this on people who are watching on tablets and phones and likely also headphones. This is available now. It's available. It does require their premium tier, which is $19.99 a month. That's the one that gets you 4K streaming, which includes things like Dolby Atmos, which is real surround spatial audio. But if you want to try it out, they actually give you a YouTube video that has this audio processing in it because there's nothing special about the app or anything like that. It's just how they're delivering the audio through the stream. So they can do this through Netflix. So they've created a Netflix video to demonstrate this. I tried it out on my iPad Air. I didn't recognize any sort of spatialness <laughs> to to this audio clip. Like the, the first part is this airplane that's flying around, you know, like Blue Angels, sort of like stunt plane kind of thing. And you're supposed to be able to like hear it flying around you. No. Like I, I Were you wearing headphones? No. No, I was not wearing I think, headphones. I, I think you really only notice this stuff if you're wearing headphones. That's been my experience. Okay. I, so I, I would try it again. Try it with headphones and report back. Okay. Sure. It, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm one of those that I'm pretty sure I downgraded my Netflix subscription because I got sick of paying so much for it. So... For the actual Netflix side, I won't have this anyway, but it is cool that it's becoming an option for people because surround sound is really cool. (laughs) It's why we build surround sound home theaters. Yeah. And if you have a home theater, you don't need this. You don't want this. But if you're watching on a small device and you're on a plane or something and you have headphones on, it can be really cool. Yeah. All right. Last audio story. And that is from Amazon Music Unlimited. I'll try not to make fun of all of their different names of their services here. (laughs) This is Amazon's top tier of their music streaming service. It is the one that is like Apple Music and Spotify Premium and things like that, where you get access to the entire library and you can listen to whatever songs and tracks and albums you want. You don't have to worry about ads. You don't have to worry about shuffling or predefined playlist. It's just listen to whatever the heck you want. The price is going up by a dollar a month. It'll now cost you $10.99 a month. The student plan is also increasing in price by a dollar to $5.99 a month. This matches what Apple Music did last fall. Same price now between those two services. Spotify, the other big competitor, I suppose we should also throw YouTube music in there also. not uh, They have not increased their prices yet, but considering two of their biggest competitors have done it, gotta imagine they this is coming soon. Probably will, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So there you go. All right, let's move on to a little bit of gaming news. And this is where I get to rant a little bit, Richard. <laughs> so here's the headline from IGN. Exclusive. Xbox, Nintendo, and Sony won't be a part of E3 2023. Really? Really? Oh my gosh. There won't be anything. Shocking. From Xbox, Nintendo, or Sony at E3 this year. Shocking. That's not true. That's literally not what's actually happening here. What is likely happening is that none of them will be on the show floor at E3. How many people does that matter to? Uh, almost none. It matters to the games press and the that smattering of people who will show up as you know the the public to to go to this event. And that's not a big enough audience of anybody for this to actually matter. 
The other reasons why this isn't really that big of a deal are, A, Sony has not been on the show floor for at years. least four or five years. Yeah. Years. It, it's been a while. Nintendo has been there, but they've had a smaller presence on the floor. Xbox has been there as as long as they've been around. But the last time there was an in-person E3 was 2019. And that year, Xbox's entire presence was built around, it was focused around their Mixer streaming service that was oh. their Twitch competitor, right? Oh, that's bad omen. Yeah. How many of you that are listening to this even remember Mixer at all? Like, I remember well, Mixer. I like it We were it there. <laughs> I remember it. <laughs> but... Yeah, exactly. We we live streamed this show on Mixer and then switched to Twitch after Mixer died. So it it does sound like Microsoft is probably not going to be on the show floor this year because they did announce that they're going to be doing an event around E3, but did not specifically say that they'll be on the show floor. And Nintendo, they don't really have much of a reason to be there because their biggest game of the year, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, comes out in May, a month before E3, and they don't really have any other huge titles coming this year, and they keep saying they're not launching a Switch replacement this year. So there's really like no reason for them to spend the money on it. So that's all the reasons why they won't be on the show floor. But does any of this actually matter to anybody? Not really, because they're all still going to have their press conferences. And that's what actually matters. Xbox will still do theirs. It'll probably still be the Sunday night before the show starts. Uh, it Nintendo... maybe just steps away from <laughs> yes. the show floor itself. Right. That's how it has been for years. So... Ignore the 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 clickbaity headlines. E3 for you as a consumer and video game enthusiast who gets all of this news secondhand from the media, nothing's going to be different for you because even even if you're thinking, but if they're not on the show floor, how will IGN cover the new games? They're going to go to a hotel room that Microsoft has set up a demo to show off these games to the games media. You're still going to get everything you've always gotten out of E3. So don't be alarmed that oh, this is it. This is it, guys. This is the death of E3. It's not the death of E3. Let me ask this. Who organizes E3? Are they in any way affiliated with IGN? They're not. No, they're not. Um... Oh gosh, I'm blanking on on the name of of the company, but no, they're I I'm pretty sure they're not affiliated with IGN. I mean, if I were E3, I'd be doing a little bit of introspection, asking myself why is why is it that we're we've lost all the big names in the show? What are we doing that they don't want to be a part of? What are we asking for that they don't want to give up? Obviously, shows that we attend, like CNET or like, um, sorry, CES, have lost big names like Microsoft, but you don't then also see Samsung and Sony and everyone else just walking away. In fact, if anything, it made room for other brands to kind of step up and get more visibility. And the same is true when Crestron pulled out of. Cedia years ago. In fact, they're back now. So I, I don't really give a whole lot of thought to this, except that I think the show organizers should be giving some thought to this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is, it, it is better for everybody if, especially now that this is a show that's open to the public, um, it, it, it's probably better for everybody that the big guys be there. But they're not, and it's still been okay. It, it, it's not like the last few years have been bad years for video games. That's definitely not the case. So I'm not super concerned. And just one last like little bit of clarification based on the question you asked me. 
IGN didn't say OMG E3 is dead when when they announced this, but the the reaction from the rest of the industry has been, see, we keep telling you, E3's dying. This is probably it. Like, no, this is not it. E3's <clears throat> not going not going away. Just like CES. It's exactly like CES. <laughs> and and if E3 and CES were able to make it through the pandemic and still be around, they're not going away. It, it, it'll be here for years to come. All right, one bit of gaming-related hardware. So going back really to CES 2022, the one last year, the the biggest display technology that I got excited about, maybe we got excited about, was quantum dot OLED displays. And the main reason for that is that it's OLED displays, which have the best contrast ratio, the best black levels, and basically the best picture quality. With with quantum dot OLEDs, the the promise is that it fixes the only downside to OLED TVs, and that is brightness. That with quantum dot OLED TVs, they can get a lot brighter than OLED TVs. So that's the idea. Sounds great. Bring it to everything. Put it in my TV. Put it in my gaming monitors. Put it everywhere. Sounds awesome, right? Cool. Samsung announced last year the Samsung Odyssey OLED. It is a 34-inch gaming monitor using quantum dot OLED uh, technology. It is absolutely a gaming monitor. It's a 3440 by 1440 resolution, goes up to 175 hertz. It's got a slight curve. It's an 1800R curve. We finally got a price on it. It's 1500 bucks. That kind of sounds like a lot, but it kind of doesn't when you're talking nope. about a top-of-the-line gaming monitor. Right. Here's the thing, though. Peak brightness on this monitor, 400 nits. That's not bright. It's just not bright. And I I would be incredibly disappointed if I just dropped $1,500 on a QD OLED display for my desk and I only got 400 nits peak brightness out of it. Like it's just, it's not, it's not good enough for the price. If this was half the price, fine. But the, the whole point of QD OLED is that they get brighter and that this isn't brighter. It's not even close to brighter. <laughs> Very disappointing. Hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's it. Like it's basically, I, I think it's going to be available anytime now, but I don't think you should buy this. I think that you should wait until there are better QD OLED monitors out there. And it sounds like the Alienware one that did come out last year had similar brightness levels. I was really excited about that monitor. I did not realize that it didn't get very bright. And that's it's just it's just not good enough. It would be great for podcasting. Richard and I just uh, messed around with the brightness on my monitor and turned it way down so that I wasn't so blown out. Um, but if I was playing a video game, not podcasting, I want that thing to be bright when it's supposed to be bright. <sighs> Seems reasonable. Indeed. All right. I think maybe we've gotten all of our rants in and it's <laughs> now, I mean, we're at least done with the news. So why don't we move on to talk about what's going on in our entertainment centers? All right. Well, it's been a couple of weeks, so I have a good amount of content, but not the way you might think. So I finished the Abbott Elementary season. That was season two, just ended, had a fun finale. I enjoyed that. Also watched the movie on Netflix. Actually, not a movie. It was more like I would call it a mini series, a four episode series called Pepsi Where's My Jet? This is about this kid in the 80s who took advantage of, or I should say, who tried to win a prize that Pepsi had promoted in advertisements, perhaps accidentally. And here is where I put in my disclaimer that Pepsi is a client of mine. So I am not going to give an opinion on the show. I am just reporting that I watched it and I enjoyed it. It was interesting. I didn't know anything about this promotion. I'd never heard of it until I heard about the series. So given my association with Pepsi, I wanted to watch it. And I'm glad I did. 
I also finally finished season five of The Expanse, and um, it was really confusing. I mean, I watched numerous explainers to understand <laughs> what was going on in multiple episodes. I enjoyed it. It feels like it could have gone on longer. It's probably good that it didn't. It was kind of winding down, but it was a good end. It was a good end to what I consider a really, really good series. So I am glad I watched it because this was something that so many people had recommended and I just didn't like the first episode or two when I first watched it. And I'm glad I pushed through and got into it because when it gets going, it's great. Another series that I had kind of lost steam on was Snowpiercer. And Snowpiercer season three has been one of the things I've wanted to watch for a long time. And while I was at, down at the rental property, I noticed it on my list down there. I have a different device there. I'm using a Google TV and it manages a separate list from my Apple TV manages. So I'm like, oh yeah, okay, I'll watch that now. And I watched about seven of the 10 episodes for season three. And I, while watching that, learned that season four has been completely filmed, produced, edited, and is ready to go. But Turner has decided that they are not going to release it. Again, royalties. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense, I guess. So frustrating. But I will continue to watch this. The problem is now that I'm home, I can't find it anywhere. What do you mean you can't find it? It's not. This is the craziest thing. I have all the same services on my Apple TV as I do on my Google TV. It is not available to view on my Apple TV. If I go to my Google TV device, which I'm going to have to find because I have one around here somewhere, (laughs) then I would be able to watch this. And what service did you say it's on? I, you're, I'm watching it with ads through TNT. Huh. Which is somehow available to me as a Google TV, or as a Chromecast with Google TV user, but not on my Apple TV, even though I have all of the same services. I don't understand. I really don't hmm. understand. Licensing, very confusing. All right. I also, because everybody's talking about it, started to watch. The Last of Us. And I am up to episode three. Josh, have you tried it? No, I I haven't. I keep telling myself that I need to go back and finish the game before watching it. Oh, this is so good. This is so, so good. And what's great about it is that it's only a little bit about the zombies. Only a little bit. That's how the game was, too. So, unlike the first season of The Living Dead, that used every possible moment to get a scare out of you. That's not what they're doing with this. And I am loving this. I think they're doing a really good job and I hope to see where this is going. All right. I'm going to take a completely different turn here. Now I started rewatching the courtship of Eddie's father. Now, if you've heard of this, you may know that it's a 50-some-year-old TV series. And I remember loving this as a child, absolutely loving this. And it may have been because of my personal situation. I, When I was very young, I lived in a split family. And this was this story about a single father with his son and this idyllic life that they had together. And I just, it's just a feel good show. And so I said, you know, one of these days I really want to watch this again. And it's now available on Amazon Prime. You have to purchase it, but I purchased the first season and I'm watching through it. And I'm so glad I did. And it looks beautiful. Like the quality of the image is just astounding considering that it's, over 50 years old and the guest stars that are on each episode are amazing. There's an episode where he goes on a blind date who turns out to be Cicely Tyson. So imagine 50 some years ago 
handling that storyline and it's done just so nicely and so well. And there's a storyline that includes George Takei. And I barely even recognized him because he's 50 some years younger than <laughs> he is now. So it's, it was, I am so happy I'm watching this. Really, really, really liking this. Um, and so, you know, while I'm on this kick of watching things having to do with daddy issues, I also decided to watch For the Love of Spock, which is a movie that Leonard Nimoy's son produced about his father after he passed away. He actually started it before he died. And then after he passed away, he released this movie. And it's really, really good. It's it's a good look at the character Spock and how it impacted their lives and their relationship. And they had daddy, he had daddy issues. They had relationship issues and how that kind of changed over time. Thoroughly, thoroughly liked it. And for the trifecta in daddy issues, I finished the book Spare. That, of course, is Prince Harry's biography, memoir. I don't know what you would call that. Anyway, his story of what's been going on in his life for the past 15 years. And I really, really enjoyed it. I recommend it to people who are interested in that kind of stuff. I normally am not. I have felt like with all of the hype and all of the press that there's kind of been a negative slant on everything going on in with Harry and with the family. And I just wanted to kind of hear a little bit from someone else's perspective. And that's what this is. Also, listen to the book Anything Goes by John Barrowman. John Barrowman is the actor who played Captain Jack in Doctor Who and also the head of Torchwood. And then, inspired by watching The Love of Spock, I listened to the book I Am Spock on my drive back from being down at uh, the vacation home. And then that finished that. That's only like a four-and-a-half-hour listen. That's also read by... Uh, by the actor, by Leonard Nimoy. So that's kind of cool, particularly since he's not around anymore. Just having him narrate his perspective on things to you. I really enjoyed that. And then started Zero Fail. I forget the name of the journalist who wrote this. This is a, maybe call it a tell-all, but this is a uh, a news-ish, opinionated perspective on what's been going on in the secret service over the course of the last few decades. So, uh, so far pretty interesting. And just finally, as a note, I had put out on Mastodon that I'm looking for something to track movies. I kind of used to use the Flickster app for this. I don't know if anybody remembers Flickster some point in time, I think Warner brothers bought it. And then at some point in time, I think, it was then sold to Rotten Tomatoes, which is a Comcast property, and they've done nothing with it. It's just kind of languishing. So I need something to actually track movies, what I want to watch, what I have watched, maybe how I've rated them, maybe get some sort of actual data-driven answer to what are my favorite movies based on what I've watched the most and how highly I've rated them. And so far, the best answer of any that I've received was letterboxd.com and spell it letterboxd past tense without the E before the D. So boxd.com. We'll put that in the show notes so that you can check that out. If you're interested, it is a subscription service, so I would pay for that. I've looked into it. I think I may give it a try. It looks interesting. Do you remember how much it costs? I don't remember how much it costs. Can, it's not a lot. I think it's like, I don't know, maybe $30 a year or something. It's not a lot of money. Cool. Very cool. All right. That's it for me. Josh, how about you? Yeah. So despite the fact that it's been a while, not uh, not tons of new stuff going on here. So especially on the gaming side, um, 
I've, of course, continued to play some NHL, but really, really got back into Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, the DMZ mode specifically. The the three dudes that I play with a lot have all really gotten into it. Uh, and, and even, you know, one of the things that I complained about the last time that I talked about this is that it is a three-player mode. And so if all four of us are on, that doesn't really work. And so when we've been in situations like that before, we've just said, fine, we'll just play regular multiplayer. But we're enjoying this mode so much that we just all get in the same party chat together and just squat up in groups of two and and just play at the same time and try to game the system so that we might end up spawning in the same map, same game world. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. but. It's just that we're we're just really enjoying that a lot. So that's it on on the gaming side. On watching things, I started the expanse over the last couple of weeks as the the new show that I'm watching while running on the treadmill now that I finished whatever the last season of Jack Ryan is. I think that was Jack Ryan season three. I this morning finished season one and yeah, I'm also glad that I stuck with this series. Like, I I think it got good and interesting fairly quickly. Things get weird near the end of the first season. <laughs> and now I am definitely hooked to find out what's going on here and, and where, where this is all going. So uh, I've, I've really liked that. Also... It's definitely not my entertainment center, but I I did some work to make using my treadmill and uh, uh, using it for both content consumption and productivity better. So the first thing was for for just watching the expanse or whatever I was watching, I was just Bluetooth headphones to my iPad, setting the iPad on the little shelf on on the treadmill, and it's fine, but it's too low. You know, I, I can't be looking down. And I think the last time I was on, uh, last time we did the show, I said that I hooked it up to my microphone stand mount that I use for when I play guitar. And that put it at more eye level, which is good and fine, but it's also kind of a pain to get the iPad into that mount. And it's still in a, you know, a roughly 11 inch iPad. So it's not super big either. The other thing that I've been doing with with the treadmill and the iPad combination is depending on what I'm working on and on days that I d- don't run is I can just bring my work laptop down and set it on the treadmill and work while I'm walking. But again, don't want to be looking down at my laptop, want to you know want want my head upright. And so with with my work laptop being a MacBook Pro, and my iPad being an iPad, it's real easy to just do the screen sharing thing to it. And that's been fine. But again, it's small. And even that, like using your iPad as a second display is, there's some some quirks. So I have computer monitors laying around. (laughs) I think most of us do at this point. So I jumped online, bought like a $20 uh, wall mount, visa mount thing, screwed that into the studs in in front of my treadmill and mounted one of my 24-inch Dell monitors to that. And I have a little USB-C hub thing. I've got a couple of them for my laptop that has an HDMI out and a couple of USB plugs. And I can just plug that into my laptop and have a nice 24-inch monitor in front of me when I'm working on it. I can plug that same USB-C hub into my iPad and get the screen sharing there. Also, I did have one issue, though, with the iPad, and that is you're plugging an HDMI cable in, and HDMI is like the cool thing about HDMI when it launched, God, what was that, 18 years ago or something like that, was it was one cable for video and audio. And so your iPad expects the audio to be going to this computer monitor that doesn't have speakers. And even if it did, I don't want to listen through them. I want to listen <laughs> through my headphones. And I had to like Google to figure this out. Maybe it's just because I'm not great with Apple products, but you can still do this. So, yeah, you can. Uh, what you do is you plug it in, you start your video, and then 
on the screen, there's a little icon that's essentially a square with a triangle at the bottom. I don't know what that icon is supposed to mean. Share video or I get it's basically it's basically a video casting symbol for them. Yeah. But if your headphones are connected and you press that, it will ask you, do you want to play the audio through your headphones? And that works perfectly. So it wasn't intuitive at all, but I was able to, to to find it after some Googling and stuff, and it does work really well. Cool. Yeah. Um, I like that repurposing of a computer <laughs> monitor. That's very smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the 24-inch monitor is a lot nicer than looking at the 11-inch iPad. So <laughs> For sure. It's, it's been nice. I also, the last time I was on, talked a little bit about the 8-bit do ultimate wired controller that I got for my Xbox. I'm still using it. Uh, a lot more safely now because I did buy a 10-foot USB extension cable for it. I was concerned that maybe there would be issues with that. Richard basically laughed at me and said, why would there be issues with that? (laughs) Richard was right. As usual, it's fine. Um, I like like some aspects of the controller. I really like the back paddle buttons uh, and and how I've got them mapped for a couple of – for Call of Duty and for NHL. But it's still, there's something weird about the left stick that I don't love that just like it, it feels like I don't have the same amount of control that I do with a regular Xbox controller. I can't even describe it well, but it's kind of weird. And then the other thing that I don't like about it is, you know, I, I knew that it had adjustable stuff related to the triggers and the adjustableness with the triggers is you can adjust how far you need to push them down before they're registered as being pushed in. And that sounds like it solves the problem of, I need to be able to pull these triggers faster when I'm playing shooting games. But the thing is, like, my fingers still want to push it all the way in. Right, right, exactly. So, exactly. like, it's going to register the first time that I pull it in faster but I'm still going to push it all the way in, all the and way back out. And have to let it all the way out. Exactly. Right, right, exactly. Yep. So uh, it's, it doesn't, I don't think it's actually helping me much when it comes to shooting inside of Call of Duty and stuff like that. So. Yeah, it's not like you're actually affecting the throw. Right. Like that would be useful. Exactly. Which but, controllers like the Xbox Elite controller allow you to do. You can You hmm. can actually change that. But that controller is $150, and this one was like $40. So, yeah. It's still a good controller, but didn't exactly solve everything that I was hoping for out of it. All right, well, that's going to do it for what's going on in our entertainment centers. If you want to get a hold of us, uh, we're on the internet. Find all of our contact information over in the show notes at the digital media zone. Dot com. I'm still on Twitter at Josh Pollard. So is the website at DigiMediaZone. We're also both on Mastodon. Just search our names, Richard Gunther and Josh Pollard on Mastodon, and you'll find us. And again, it'll be in the show notes. And hey, we're back. Uh, and we did the show live. So again, most of the time that we're recording this, we're going to do it live. And that's typically Tuesdays or maybe sometimes Wednesdays around 8.30 p.m. Eastern. All right, that's going to do it for episode 613. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Bye.